But if you think, if you were looking for a, a church elder, a church leader, and you put them through this kind of like interview process, and you look at first their character, verses 1 to 3, and you ask, are they able to teach, and they still met those qualifications, well, where do you go from there? If you're doing a job interview, well, you, you want some uh, references, right? You want some references. I think that's what we see here. In these verses, we're going to look at three references. You look to the home, you look to what is their character over time, and you look to what's their character, their reputation within the community. And I think that's what we're going to see here this morning. Right? Because a person can just be like, okay, I talked to them, they seem to be really good, I've met with them. How's the rest of their life? That's what God's Word, I pray, exposes your heart, it's exposed mine all week. In this scripture, one man, J.H. Babnick, said this, A man cannot only preach, he must also live. And the life that he lives with all its little peculiarities is one of two things. Either it emasculates his preaching or it gives it flesh and blood. So first off, I want us to see in verses 4 to 5, Godly leadership, it requires a, a godly reputation and it's seen in the home. You will see this in the home. Look at verse 4 with me. It may feel like I'm yelling the whole time. I just want to make sure you hear. But maybe I normally speak like this too. I don't know. <laughs> Look at verse 4 with me. It says this. He must manage his own household well. Again, speaking of an overseer, speaking of a leader. But we all want to seek to do this. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Again, the home is the proving ground for leadership in the church. This is where we find leaders, is, is first off in the home. I want us to see clearly together what is the calling here from Scripture. He must manage his own household well. We talked about last week that some leaders, not all leaders, are going to be married and have kids. Jesus wasn't married. Like we're not disqualifying Jesus from church leadership. There could be some men who are single. There could be some couples who don't have kids. But the normal circumstance they're speaking to is a husband who's married and has children. What should it look like for them? That's what's being spoken to here in Scripture. This is a call to men. He must manage his own household well, we have this in other scriptures. We know we're talking about biblically qualified men to be elders. This is a call for men in the homes. Ephesians 6, 4, I'm just going to show you a couple other places. Let's talk about children in the home. It says fathers, particularly fathers, Ephesians 6, 4, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In Colossians 3.21 as well, there's this Morning is called out to fathers specifically. But clearly women are involved. It's, it's a team effort working together. So it, it says here, right, you must manage his own household. Well, Paul, later on in the letter, 1 Timothy 5.14, speaking about widows, he says this, I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households. They're also called to manage their households. They're called to do this together. Obviously, but there is something we need to hear as men. This is directed towards men, and we need to hear it loud and clear. 
to call for leadership within the home. Right? The police come to the door, there's some trouble around the house, say, hey, who's in charge here? It's the man who needs to step up, say, I have that responsibility. So that is what is being said here. He must manage his own household well. Like, well, he must do it competently. Robert Yarbrough says this, well underscores the quality and aptness of the management style, management style and the decisions of the household head. Things are not in disarray because of neglect, incompetence, or harshness. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, with all seriousness. Their translations must be worthy of full respect. Like there's an ordinary way in which to do it, we need to do it above that. That's the, that's the call in our homes. You must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, keeping his ongoing. It's not like in one moment, hey, they listen for one moment. We know kids, there be kids, there are other moments that come. It's like it's the long game. There's going to be times where they're not being submissive. We must kind of continue kind of bringing them back to keep listening, keep teaching them, keep training them. I want us to see it and kind of go down a little deeper. What does that mean? What's the picture of managing your household well? For those with kids, maybe for those in the future who will have kids, what is the calling that we're talking about? There's obviously much here to keep your house in order. Having things fixed, bills paid, physical, emotional needs met, etc. Like it could be very, very broad. I want to give it very a narrow focus and think of it in terms of relationships within the home, in terms of spiritual leadership. That's where I just kind of want to focus our attention, if you will. What's the call to manage your own household well within those relationships? I think it's a focus on family relationships. First off, if this is a call to husbands, I think. The first call is, husbands, love your wives. You want to manage your own household well. You need to love your wife well. I hope everyone can, like I'm preaching to myself. Ephesians 5, verse 25, Paul wrote this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's the calling on our lives as husbands. To lay down our lives for our wives in sacrificial love. You cannot do it on your own. We, we cannot love our wives as God has called us to. It is a spiritual act. We need God's Spirit in us to do it. Love your wives. Study her. Know her. Build her up in the Lord. Date her. Pray for her. Point her to Christ. This would be managing your household well, starting there. Now, in terms of thinking of the children, thinking of a Christian home, there's another way in which Christianity is described in the Bible. It's called followers of the way. Have you ever heard that? Followers of the way. So one thing we want to do, we want to teach our children the way. Teach our children the way to Christ. Right? We saw there in Ephesians, Six four and fathers, we need to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We find a good calling there in Deuteronomy chapter six. Deuteronomy chapter six, 
verses 4 to 7. Think of it as calling to fathers. It says this here, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. That's first off the call to every husband, to every wife, that the words that God's command will be on our heart. Like we're not teaching anyone things we do not know. We're first seeking the Lord. I want to love God with all my heart, mind, own soul, and strength. So that's where we start. And as we put these things upon our own heart, look at verse 7. This is the call in our homes. You shall teach them diligently to your children, like all that God has commanded. And shall talk to them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. It's like all the time, in every place. That, that's the call. And the call, again, as husbands, we must learn what is the Word of God if we want to teach our children the Word of God. Right? It, it can't be like some sort of advanced math. My kids are not at that age, but in the future, I'm sure they'll come ask me a question. I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know, whatever subject that is, it can't be like that with spiritual things, man. If they're asking us questions or we're teaching them, like, let me teach you what the Lord has taught me. So I just say with that, teach your children the way. There's when do you teach them and where do you teach them. And it's planned and unplanned. It needs to be planned and unplanned. There'll be times where like, hey, we're going to open up the Bible, we're going to read through, hey, parts of why Jesus came or who he is or what is the gospel plan. Times when it's at the dinner table or after or in the morning, I don't know. There's unplanned times. As Deuteronomy said, when you're walking by the way, when you're sitting down, when you're lying down, there's so many teachable moments in a day. Just stopping and pointing them back to God, pointing them to the world that we live in, the brokenness of it, our hope being Jesus Christ. Teach your children the way. The second thing, I would say, model the way. Imagine the hustle as well. Model the way. 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Paul says, follow my example as I follow Christ. We want to say that as leaders within the church, husbands, fathers, we need to say that in our homes. They follow my example as I follow Christ. And of course, this is for women too. Right? Second Timothy, just to point out, what who did Paul shout out to? To Timothy's grandmother and mother. That was his bodily example. So it's like in, in saying this and pointing to men, of course, women, we must seek the Lord and grow in that, or you must seek the Lord and grow in that. What can this example look like while in the way we should look like prayer? Repentance. You know, because we're, we're still broken human beings, we mess up, and it's like asking forgiveness from the people we sin against. Seeing forgiveness from the Lord in front of the modeling forgiveness and repentance. Pointing them to the Savior. Making, making church an important thing, the gathering together of of God's people. Husbands taking the lead in that. So teach your children the way, model the way. And lastly, even as Ephesians says, we must correct them in the way. Ephesians 6, 4 again says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. 
It's interesting, it calls out husbands or fathers, don't provoke them to anger. Because men, we can have a tendency as we're disciplining, as we're instructing, to be a little harsher. So you think as we discipline our children, as we correct them, we need to do it with gentleness and kindness. And again, I'm speaking to myself. I've failed numerous times where I've just like, I'm just going to raise my voice and hopefully that does something. Why are you guys shouting? It's like, what? I you spent too long making fun of myself up here. Absolutely. <laughs> but you think we must discipline with a heart of love as the pointing towards Christ. Like that's why we want to discipline our children. We want to keep pointing them towards the Lord. You think of submission in marriage. As a husband is supposed to lead the wife, it's not done by loud speaking, yelling, demanding. The submission that's called for is meant to be done by loving and serving and providing and caring. Of course, for our children too. I imagine if we brought them into the church, hey, I'm just going to yell louder, I'm just going to, let's do these things, let's be a part. It's like, no. It's not the leadership called for in the church, it's not the leadership called for within the home. What's the free, what's the desire of godly parenting that already has spoken to it? Raise our children in the fear of the Lord, point them to Christ. Share the gospel with them, model forgiveness, pray for them. Pray that one day that they would believe, right? It's like whatever our kids turn out to be, whatever job they have, that if they believe in Jesus Christ, we'll see them for eternity. Or your grandchildren. There's nothing more important. So we want to see our children submissive. Other translations under control, be obedient to us. But do that with gentleness and kindness because we still have kids. And kids will be kids. And it's no excuse, but then in that, when they're like all hyper on sugar, how do you discipline and correct them? And point them to the Lord. I just want to read this a lengthy quote, I think that summarizes this well, made better than I've said it, by a guy named Robert Yarbrough. He says this, this qualification then is not about a husband cracking the whip at home so he can bring the same people taming talent to a congregation. It is rather about the love of the Father, capitalized Father, God the Father. It's about the love of the Father through the gospel for his people finding full and authentic expression in the real, daily, private life of a father and husband, and requisite before he is considered for appointment to shepherding God's flock. Key congregational essentials are exercised first in the marriages and homes of church members, or to sheer hypocrisy to pretend they exist on Sundays. Forgiveness, care for others, prayer, regard for God's word, self-sacrifice, loving service, respect for others, listening to others, finding joy in what pleases others rather than oneself, making personal changes, and forsaking sin for the sake of improved relations with other family members, in many cases seemingly endless delayed gratification and much more. And we quote, think about the call as far as all husbands that we put out before ourselves. 
continually. I, I struggle with that. You're like, hey, what about me time? Maybe sometimes me time the Lord is like taking to the cross. He's gone. So see here in the call in the home, I want you to see in verse 5, I'll ask this question, a question to take to heart. He says this, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? If someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Paul asks such a question, the answer is obvious, he can. Like, can you go swimming and not get wet? It's just such an obvious question, such an obvious answer. There's a proving ground for someone before they come into eldership, come into leadership. This call here we see is also a reminder how we care for God's church. That word care there is found in one other place here in the New Testament. It's in the parable of the Good Samaritan. When the guy finds the other guy broken and beat up, the Samaritan, and he helps him up and he takes him to a hotel or a uh, that place to stay in, and as he gives him money, and he's like, care for him. That's the language. He's, that's how this man in leadership is called to care for the church with compassion, with gentleness, and it's be first to be seen in their home. Again, I just want to point out here that word church, it doesn't appear that often within the Bible. It's the word, Greek word ecclesia, and it means the people gathered. In the Greek word, the people must be gathered. That's what the church does. It's in the word. That's what I pointed out to you. But the leader must care for people in the home. And then he can care for people in the church. I just want to point this out as well. No other position has this calling. Right? Someone could be a, a lawyer, a teacher, in the trades, a nurse, whatever it is. And they could be doing a great job with their employer, doing awesome. And the whole life's just like falling apart. People are like, hey, you should probably take care of that, and let's keep going. Hopefully it doesn't affect your work at, at the job. That, that's, that's what it is. But in a church, it's like, if you see the family slipping, I need to step down. Period. Of course, this is revealed over time. But do you, do you see the calling there for church leadership? Do you see all of us husbands, you know, wives, think about the home, how important it is. That it's like you're disqualified for ministry if you're not doing well at home. So I hope you can see it. I hope for all of us hearing it that we would put more effort into our home life than we do anywhere else. That would be hugely significant. Think about how significant it is here. That each one of us would take it to heart, take it seriously. And I hope as you see this calling, you pray for us as leaders, pray for our families, our marriages, pray for our kids. That godly leadership is godly reputation and must be seen first in the house. Secondly, I want us to see that it must be revealed over time. Look at verse 6 with me. Must be revealed over time. 
Paul writes, he must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Must not be a, a new convert. The Greek here is like a newly planted tree. Just, just think about like as we have things grow in a greenhouse where it's time so they can grow, they can grow to a, a length, a height, whatever. So then you can put them in the elements and they'll survive. But you wouldn't just like, hey, it's really small, I'm just going to put it outside. It's going to die. You don't want to put someone who's new in the faith into leadership. A good example of this to think through is on Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 to 14. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 to 14. Writer of Hebrews write for different reasons, but he, he writes this. Well, this we have much to say, but it's hard to explain even how great Jesus is. Since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For anyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. That's okay. New believers, there's a time for us to be fed on milk. Just on basic truths from God's word. That is great. But we wouldn't take someone who's learning the basic truths of God's word and then shove them into leadership. That wouldn't make any sense. Look at verse 14. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. We want someone who's mature in the faith, who understands the word of God and knows sound doctrine. Who's able to distinguish good from evil, who has great discernment. It takes time to grow into that, to spiritual maturity. In a sense, we don't want zeal without knowledge. Often people like you in the faith, there's an excitement, excitement we all need to take it into our lives. We need that, but maybe they know very little. Of course, the flip side of that we don't want either. We don't want knowledge without zeal. But think about it this way, even for... Uh, to be a, a fireman or a police policeman, they're looking for more life experience. They're not like they graduated high school, come and do this. You need a little bit more experience before you go into that. Another way to put it, I think in order to come into church leadership, we don't want people with a strut. You need a limp. And what I, what I mean by that, I don't know about you, when I was young, I had a strut. And I won't, sh I won't show you the You'll forget everything else I said and this was too possible. But, uh, but whether you lose your strut and gain a limp because of age or trials, that's what needs to happen. We need people who have been through a few things, who have suffered a little, and they don't walk with the strut anymore. They walk with a limp because life's been hard. And they had to seek the Lord. I think that's what Paul is saying here. Going back there to Timothy, even in 1 Timothy 5.22, Paul says this, Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. Like, don't be quick to appoint people to leadership. Put them in positions. Even in our church, we took a couple of years in recognizing and calling others. And of course, the question to be like, well, how long? How long from a new convert to someone? When are they spiritually mature? Well, 
interesting in Titus, who also has the same list, Titus chapter 1, similar list, it doesn't say it must not be a new convert. Because in Crete, the area where Titus was to uh, have elders raised up, there were new believers. And so maybe there would be men there who would be spiritually mature compared to the rest of the believers there. So there's also context, time, and season which determines that. So not a recent convert, but why not? Well, there's this warning here against leadership too quickly. Because what happens if you can put someone who is a new convert, who does it's not very solid in the faith? He must not be a recent convert, verse 6, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. He may get prideful. Robert Yarbrough writes this, it was a word used widely outside the New Testament to describe people who are overly oppressed with their own knowledge. They look at me, look what I know. Right? Because power can corrupt. Right? It can lead to pride. It can lead to being puffed up. It's someone like this brand new and also they're just in charge of all these people, but they're not ready to take that responsibility. There's so many warnings against pride in the Bible. Proverbs 16, 18 is one of them. It says, pride goes before destruction, and a haughty, arrogant spirit before a fall. And what's the big warning about this person could fall into pride? Well, pride can lead people into the same condemnation that is for the devil. Like, that's what's being said here. Other translations, that he... Don't put in a new convert so he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. They fall into the same punishment. Like Matthew 25 41, there's a parable of the sheep and the goats. And the goats are the ones who weren't being obedient to what God had commanded them. And it says this to the ghost, Matthew 25, 41, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. There's a place that was prepared for the devil and his angels, but those who are not trusting in Jesus Christ will also go. And why is it talking about pride, the same condemnation of the devil? is because pride is what took down Satan in the first place. Just looking at Ezekiel 28, kind of speaks of this. Ezekiel 28, you can turn there with me or just listen. So Ezekiel 28 is speaking of the king of Tyre. I made all this money of trading. And speaking of the king of Tyre, and then all of a sudden, as he kind of changed the language, you're like, wait a second, this isn't the king of Tyre anymore. Look at verse 13. Ezekiel 28, verse 13. You were in Eden, the garden of God. That was not the king of Tyre. And he's giving his background info on Satan, that serpent that was there. You were in Eden, the garden of God, every precious stone, and your, was your covering sardis, topaz, diamond, pearl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle, this list of jewels, and crafting gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. This was said about Satan. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of stones of fire. You walked. 
You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. Look at verse 17, speaking of the devil. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your beauty for the sake of your splendor. Pride entered in. That was the fall of the devil. And saying, if you put in someone who's too young, who's inexperienced into a place of leadership, pride can enter in their heart. They can fall into the same condemnation that the devil did. How serious is that? So there's a, there's a kindness to keep people from leadership positions until they're ready. There's a kindness in guarding the church. There's also a kindness in looking out for them too. But maybe one question maybe you've thought of. So power can corrupt. It can cause pride. How do we keep from being prideful? I think a way to guard against pride is real worship of God. What I mean by that, if you're truly like worshiping, adoring, whether on your own or together with the church gathered, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our holy triune God, and you're gazing upon Him, you're not standing up with pride. Like if you're truly worshiping Him, your head might be bowed down a little bit more. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Right? If, if our eyes are gazing upon God in true worship, our pride is melting away. We're being humble. We must continue to go to our knees in worship. Real worship of God brings humility. We need a, a healthy, increasing fear of God. A continued reminder, as we saw in verse 5, this is God's church. This is the Lord's church. We're just servants. Amen? So, for, for this calling, in order to see reputation, a godly reputation, we need a certain amount of time to pass. We need to watch them grow, mature. We need to see if they have those characteristics found in verses 1. To three, one to seven. Make sure they're ready. So godly leadership requires a godly reputation that's revealed over time. Last I want to see that godly reputation also must be agreed on outside of the church. Other other people's opinions matter. For the most part. Put a caveat on there. Think about this. Look at verse seven with me. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders. So he may not fall into the straits and just stare at the devil. I had, I must be well thought of, must have a good reputation. I was in college delivering furniture around central Alberta, various places. I remember I had some guys and they delivered to this one pastor some furniture. And he was wearing his gold chains, he had fancy cars, and he treated them rudely and he was harsh to them. What do you think they thought about the church? What do you think they thought about Jesus Christ? It's a joke to them. But be well thought of by outsiders. It's interesting to use that term outsiders. You see the other places within the Bible that there are those inside the church and there are those outside the church. Also, I just want to take a little tangent here for a second. If you think about this, there are actually those who are sitting inside the church and who are outside the church. How do you enter and be inside the church while it's faith in Jesus Christ? Right? You must be born again. You must believe in Jesus Christ have His Spirit in you. My wife and I, when we were newly married, I asked her, I could share this story. We were in South Korea. And we, we 
traveled by like an hour by train and subway to get to this little church in Seoul. And the pastor was preaching exposition to the Gospel of John. And we were sitting there one, one morning and she starts to weep. And she had to leave the service. I'm like, why are you crying? She's like, I didn't want to disturb him. She's crying so loud. I'm like, what's going on? She's like, I've never heard this before. She grew up in the church. I met her at Bible college. She was trusting in, I've done this, I've lived this. By God's kindness and grace, at that, in those moments, at that season, she trusted Jesus Christ alone, and she became in, inside the church. Friends, is there any of you here who listening? It's not that, hey, you've done this your whole life, you've had this routine, it's that you trusted in Jesus Christ alone. Have you been born again? And if that's speaking to you, I encourage you, turn to Jesus Christ. Believe in Him and be saved. So there are insiders, there are outsiders. Of course, this passage goes more speaking of those outside the walls of the church. And how should we communicate? How should we deal with those outside? A few examples of this would be 1 Peter 2, verses 11 to 12. Peter writes this, Beloved, I urge you as soldiers and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. For it is battle all the time. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable and non-believers. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they might see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. They speak against you, but they see your good deeds. They see your life. Another example of this is found in Philippians, Philippians 2, 14 to 15. Paul writes this, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Why? That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. That's why your character must be seen by others outside the church, so you can shine as a light. Think about if you have blemishes in our character, it'll be exposed. People will see it. There's something I heard in a message recently that kind of stuck with me. Something like, who you are is who you are. It'll come to light. People will know who you are. The beauty, though, of the, of the gospel is God can change who you are. But the reality is that who we are is who we are. People are going to see who we are. And if we're like, hey, yes, I'm walking in a godly way that better be true or with people outside the church. Think about this. In the places where we're known, whether it's places of work, places where we shop and we're known there, places where we play, people that know you, the calling is like, they may be like, yeah, that person's a little weird. That's what they say about me, dude. But they can say, hey, but they're trustworthy. They're full of integrity, they're honest. I would trust them with my kids. And that's the type of reputation that we need as believers. 
I'll just say this too. It must be well thought of by outsiders under like normal circumstances, under normal things, because there's things that we hold to we know are not to be well thought of by outsiders. Just holding to biblical marriage. Just holding to, holding to human sexuality, holding, holding to Jesus' only way in which to be saved. We know in our society we're not to be well thought of by holding to that. That's not like a normal occurrences of life. We're not going to get the name of Christ Take it through the mud by our actions. Paul writes this, Moreover, this person must be well thought of by outsiders so they may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. A person can fall into a snare of the devil and take down their name and take down the church's name. I want us to think and kind of finish here. I want you to see the devil's traps. Speaking of the snare and the device used to trap animals. Our enemy lays specific traps for, for each one of us. And even, I think, even more so for leaders in the church. But even as, as, as the elders from Redemption County North, as they lay their hands on us, it's literally like you painted a target over your chest. I'm glad that now there's three targets. <laughs> when you think of these snares, the snares that the devil lays out for each one of us, kind of thinking more broadly, first looking at the list that was laid in front of us, it says it's calling to be a husband of one wife, purity within the marriage. Purity within the marriage. But then there's this snare of the devil to all of us within our society that you can have sexual gratification outside of marriage between a man or woman. It's okay, it feels good, do it. That's a snare of the devil. For those of us who are married, we need to choose to love our spouse, we need to work it out. There's this a snare of the devil, like the grass is greener over there. And, oh, I see how they're acting, I see what's going on. And I said before, no, the grass is greener where you water it, where you work at it, where you invest in it. We see here the call in 3 2 to not be a drunkard. Sorry, in 3 3. There, there could be a snare by alcohol. You know, in your mind, hey, just let loose and just let that go. Just take it in. You, you've had a hard day. It could be alcohol, it could be anything else. Whatever we turn to, other things besides God. When you've had a hard day, those can become snares in our life. Whatever it is, and you're, you're like stressed, you're feeling off, it can be alcohol, it can be other things, those things that we turn to, we repeatedly turn to them when they're not God, they become snares. Snares in our life. This list at the end of 3 3, not a, a lover of money. Money, it can become a snare in our life just, just a little bit more. Just a, just a little bit more. We see in 1 Timothy 6 9, he speaks of this. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and to a snare. Just a little bit more turns into. Like those who, I don't know if any of you have seen the Lord of the Rings, the Smeagol? Gollum. That's the same name, I guess. But either way, he was so corrupt by one after this ring. 
That's all he wanted, like destroying him from within. That's what money can be a snare, just a little bit more. Relationships being broken down all around, everything's falling and crumbles just a little bit more. It can be a snare. We must guard our hearts against it. And just lastly, I, Christmas, I love Christmas. The holidays can be a snare. I'm telling you, all time is measured by Jesus Christ, by his birth. It's 2022, because roughly 2022 years ago, Jesus Christ came to earth. That's an amazing thing. And we try to behold in our minds, God, eternal, came down, born in flesh, crying as a baby. Like, that's something amazing. We need to keep thinking of, we need to keep rejoicing in how amazing it is. We know he came to the cross. Yes. Food, events, food, lights, movies, the list goes on and on. I, I, I like those things. We do them in our house. How do you keep Jesus in front of them? Our whole system, man, the holidays can be a snare. At the end of it, you're like, I don't know, why are we celebrating this? The snares of the devil are endless, but what do we do? Psalm 119, 105. David writes, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Think about this. By God's word, illuminated and applied by his spirit, may we see the traps. May we grow in discernment. May we grow in godliness. May we walk in ways pleasing to God. Right? If his, his words are light to our path, we start to see, we're like, I can see it. I'm not walking there. It's being exposed. I hope you saw in the scripture today this clear call on an Ali's life for godliness. And I hope as you see it, you're going to hold us elders accountable by it. Hoping you see this call to godliness, you're going to pray and seek the Lord to do that in your life. Praying that God would shape each one of us. And I pray that we as elders, by God's grace, by His Spirit, that we will take the lead. We'll be able to say, Lord, change me, and as I follow Christ, follow me. I pray that you would do that in us. You want to bow with me as I close this word of prayer. Oh God, Lord, I pray that which is from you you would seal in our hearts. You would convict, encourage, rebuke by your spirit. I pray that which is from me, Lord, may this fall to the side. Continue to do your work in us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.